Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. So this week, I was thinking about some underdog stories, some movies uh, from the past, things that I've enjoyed. And uh, one of the ones that I remember that I really enjoy is the movie Rudy. Anybody remember the movie Rudy? Yeah, the football player in Notre Dame. And uh, what a wonderful story uh, that that one is. Uh, Another one that I like was Karate Kid. I like that one growing up. You know, you get that kid gets beat up and Cobra Kai and, you know, all of those kind of things. And Mr. Miyagi, Miyagi-son, you know. That's my bad Mr. Miyagi impression. Uh, but, uh, you know, and then, then you have Rocky Balboa, right? You know, Rock going up against Mr. T, uh, going up against Drago, and, uh, you know, the, the Rocky Balboa movies are some of those underdog stories that you get to. You get into a sports one, some are really good. How about Miracle? Anybody remember Miracle, the U.S. hockey team going up against the bad USSR? They're the, the college, they're not supposed to win. They end up winning the Olympics, the Winter Olympics, and U.S. hockey. Uh, but I'm also a college basketball fan, and with March Madness coming up and some of the, uh, the tournaments coming up, one that, uh, that comes to mind is in 1983, the NC State Wolfpack. The NC State Wolfpack by Coach Jim Balvano. Anybody remember that? Some of you are probably too young to remember that, uh, but it's on all of the different March Madness things that you find. I just want to share a little bit in case you don't know about uh, that incredible story. You see, at that point, NC State, the Wolfpack, they had not had a very good regular season. In fact, they were a part of the ACC where North Carolina had Michael Jordan and Virginia had Ralph Sampson, and, uh, and they had lost. In fact, they weren't, able, they weren't gonna be admitted. They weren't even gonna make the NCAA tournament. The only way they could get into the tournament is if they won the ACC, uh, the ACC tournament. And they started the ACC tournament as the fourth or the fifth best place team. And so the, it, what the amazing thing was is that uh, as, they, as they began to progress through, they found themselves as underdogs, and they started out opening against Wake Forest, in which they won that game uh, 71-70. And then they faced North Carolina with Michael Jordan, and over time, they won that game 91-84. They went on to face number two, Virginia, that they'd already faced twice in the regular season, now in the ACC tournament, and they weren't expected to win, but they pulled off an 81-78 victory and allowed them to be able to, to win the ACC tournament and get a berth in the NCC tournament, the NCCA, or NCAA tournament. Boy, all these letters get all confused. I'm telling you. So they enter that tournament, and if you know anything about the tournament, at that point it was a 52-team tournament, and again, four regions, and they were a 12 seed. And they were to start up against Pepperdine. And so they weren't supposed to win that game, but surprisingly they went on to win 69-67 in double overtime against Pepperdine, and they became known as the Cardiac Pack. They would then go on to beat UNLV 71-70 in the next round, and then they pulled off together another miracle finish, and for the fourth time in the season, now in the NCAA March Madness Tournament, facing Virginia once again, they finished with a one-point victory, 63-62. 
That allowed them to get into the final four, where in the final four they faced off against Georgia, and they ended up winning and found themselves in the championship game, but this time against an opponent who was much much better. At that point, the number one team, the Phi Slamma Jamma with Clyde Drexler, Hakeem Olajuwon, Houston. Here they are, the underdog. They weren't even supposed to make it into the NCAA March Madness tournament, let alone make it all the way to the championship game. But here they are in the championship game, and with 44 seconds left on the clock, they find themselves down. They're down, 40 by, they're, they're down with 44 seconds on the clock. As they begin to dribble down and the defense takes over, they can't seem to get off a shot, and finally they lunge an ugly shot, which has no chance whatsoever of making it, except that at the buzzer, Lorenzo Charles grabs the ball with a buzzer-beating dunk, and the place goes crazy. The Cinderella team ends up winning. I share that because I think the Bible is filled with a lot of underdog stories. The Bible's filled with underdog stories. In fact, as we've been looking at the unlikely God above the chaos here in the book of Judges, we see many who are unlikely, many who shouldn't do what they do, underdog stories. And last week, we looked at Gideon. Gideon is an underdog story. And today, we're going to take a look at the nation he's going to lead into battle against the vast armies of the Midianites who have partnered up with the Amalekites and other eastern peoples, and they're poised and ready to invade the land. And God says to Gideon, blow the trumpet. I want you to rally the troops. I'm going to lead you into battle. And so today we're going to take a look at, at this underdog story. Again, just as a reminder, the Midianites, again, were a nomadic people, and they had oppressed Israel for seven years. They had oppressed Israel for seven years. In fact, Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 5, just kind of gives us a detail of what their army was like and what they did. It says this, they came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them on their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian was so impoverished, the Israelites, to the, so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. As often as the cycle goes, Israel would move away from God, would drift into idolatry, and then God would take his hand of protection and allow enemy armies to come in. And, and we see it over and over again. And here, Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and God allowed the Midianites partnering with the Amalekites to come in and to ravage the land for seven years. But they cried out to the Lord for help. And as we saw last week, God spoke to Gideon, and God called Gideon. God appeared to Gideon. And we learned last week that, that sometimes God will use painful situations or circumstances to get our attention? Has God ever allowed pain to get your attention before? God allowed pain to get their attention. And then he showed up to Gideon who was fearful. Gideon was the most unlikely person because he lacked courage. He was fearful. And as we found out, there were idols even within his own home. And yet God appears to him while he's threshing wheat in a wine press. And he calls him and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior telling us that God sees more in us than we see in ourselves. God sees more in us than he sees in, our, in ourselves, and he invites us to take a step and open ourselves up that he can reveal his plan to us. But as we also learn, before we can be used publicly, we've got to deal with the private sins in our lives. 
that God wants us to deal with the private things in our lives. So that is what, that's what, what Gideon had done. Gideon had gone, and at night he had tore down his, his father's idols, and, and he was still fearful. But yet, as Pastor J.D. Greer once said, God doesn't call the brave. He makes, the brave, though, he makes brave those he calls. Gideon is still fearful, but yet God has called him. And, and the next part of our story moves beyond the private devotion as God calls him to lead this army of Israelites against the Midianites. Let's read Judges chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 33 today. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces, crossed over the Jordan, and camped in the valley of Jezreel. And the Spirit of the Lord, this is so important, came upon Gideon. And he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizarites to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet them. So again, the Midianites and the Amalekites start to make their way across the Jordan River. And it says they set up camp in the Valley of Jezreel. You know what's so critical about this? The Valley of Jezreel is also in the book of Revelation known as the Valley of Armageddon. See, what we see here in the physical is actually something that represents a spiritual battle that we face as the enemy of our soul comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and ravage. And God called Gideon and said, now is the time. Enough of this enemy who has been ravaging you and plundering you and taking what is yours. It is time to take a stand against the enemy. For seven years, the enemy had his way. But notice what rallied Gideon. It says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Do you know what the literal translation of this is? The Spirit of the Lord clothed himself with Gideon. The Spirit of the Lord clothed himself with Gideon. I just think this is a wonderful, this is just a wonderful thought. How many of you want to be, want the Holy Spirit to clothe himself in you? I think that's what we see in the New Testament, that God fills us with his Holy Spirit, but really the Holy Spirit inside of us, the Holy Spirit is clothing himself with us. I, I want to be available for that. I want to say, Lord, work yourself in me, because it was the Holy Spirit clothing himself that allowed Gideon to be effective. And friends, if we're going to be effective against the enemy of our soul, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to clothe himself within us. It's not by our effort. It's not by our strength. But it's by the Holy Spirit working in and through us as we surrender ourselves to him. That's what the Lord is looking for. The Lord is looking for a people who will surrender themselves and who will allow themselves to be filled with his spirit. Gideon blows a trumpet and he gathers the Abizurites, that's his, his family, his clan, and Manasseh, his tribe, and, and then some of the neighboring tribes. And as he does, 32,000 show up to join the fight. And in Judges chapter 7 today, we're going to learn some secrets of underdog faith. If you feel like an underdog today, secrets of underdog faith. The first one is this. When God wants to use us, he will often weaken us. When God wants to use us, he will often weaken us. Look at what happens. Judges chapter 7 and verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel boast over me saying, my own hand has saved me. 
Understand this, at 32,000, that sounds like a huge army. That sounds like a, a massive army. But compared to the Midianites and the Amalekites and the other eastern peoples that were like locusts, we're not even giving their, their number because there was too many to count. This was still an underdog story. At 32,000, this was still an underdog story because if you remember, Israel didn't even have a sword. They didn't have that kind of technology. As we will see, they were still underdogs. And yet God says, this is too many for me. It wasn't too many for Gideon. It was too many for God. Because he knows that if they win the battle, even with 32,000, they're going to boast and say, look how good we are. Look how we were stronger than we thought. Look, we were better fighters than we thought. God said, that's too many for me. Friends, numbers are not an issue for God. How many know that? Numbers are not an issue for God. Why? Because difficulty must be measured by the capacity of the agent doing the work. Difficulty is measured by the agent doing the work. So if you're doing the work and you've got all this talent, somebody else who has less talent will look at something and go, oh, that's too difficult for me. Somebody else who has more experience, more talent, more resources goes, well, that's, that's not that bad. We can do that. That's, that's, that's not too bad. Why? Because it's all about the agent doing the work. Understand something. When God is the agent doing the work, nothing is impossible for him. Numbers don't matter to God because nothing is impossible with God. Numbers only matter to us, and it's really a revelation of where our trust is at and who is doing the work. God is trying to teach Israel that he is all they need. And when God begins to strip away things in our lives and begins to weaken us, he is trying to teach us that he is all we need. Judges chapter 3 tells us what happened. Therefore proclaim in the ears of the people saying, Who is fearful and trembling? Let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. And look what happened. 22,000 people returned and 10,000 remained. Gideon's 32,000 army all of a sudden with one declaration. Are you afraid? If you're afraid, go ahead and leave. Go home. It might have started with one. Well, that's me. And then two. Why? Because fear is catchy. And immediately an army of 32,000, suddenly 10,000 against this vast army of the Midianites. If I'm, if I'm Gideon, I'm going, okay, well, I'm a little afraid too. Bye, God. God says, no, Gideon, not you. <laughs> not you. Not you. 32,000 stripped down to 10,000. That's still a good-sized army, isn't it? And then all of a sudden God says, that's not enough. Look at verse 4. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I'll test them for you there. Anyone whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, here's the test. Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting up their hands to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands, lest all the others go, every man to his home. Now, i got to be honest with you. When I took a look at this, I said, okay, there's got to be something spiritual in here. What's the difference between the kneelers and the lappers? And i got to be honest, the commentary people were all over the place with it. You know, some said it had to do with awareness. When you kneel down, you weren't as aware of your enemy. If you scooped up the water in your hand and lapped it up that way like a dog, you could look around and still be aware. I don't know. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's not. I just came to the conclusion that God likes dogs more than cats. 
I'm a dog person, so. No, I, I don't know. All I know is, is that God knew that through that test, when everything was said and done, Gideon's army that once stood at 32,000, then 10,000 was now 300. 300. And yet God said, that's what I'm going to use for you to defeat the Midianites. Isn't that what God does in our lives? God oftentimes will weaken us and we don't understand. God, why are you taking this away? God, why, why, why did you take my job away? God, why did I lose this person in my life? Why are they no longer a part of my life? I, I don't understand your timing. God, I, I, I just don't, I don't understand. I, I, I had a good job that was paying good and now they've cut my salary. Why are you, why are you weakening me? What, why are you taking things away from me? But friends, God knows what he's doing. And God will oftentimes weaken us before he will use us so that he receives the glory and the honor. Corey Ten Boom, Holocaust survivor, wrote this, you'll never know God is all you need until God is all you have. You'll never know God is all you need until he's all you have. A.W. Tozer said, it's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. If dependence is the objective, then weakness is our advantage. You see, that's what the Apostle Paul discovered. He said this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul said, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Boast in weakness? Who does that? You have a job interview. They say, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? You think, okay, what kind of weakness can I share? How do I do this so I don't, like, I'll still get the job. Like, how do, I, how, how do I do that? We don't like to boast in our weakness. And yet Paul said the secret is to lean into our weakness and lean into the grace of God that his power may rest on us and that he may get the glory. Friends, that's the key. That's the key. Peter also, speaking of trials, he wrote this in 1 Peter 1.7, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Even though everything that is stripped away in the natural perishes, what we are left with is a reason to praise. God will often weaken us to teach us to lean into his strength. Hudson Taylor, the great mission, uh, China missionary, said this, God wants you to have something better than riches and gold, and that is a helpless dependence on him. A helpless dependence on him. The second secret kind of piggybacks on the first, and that is God sends salvation not through human power, but through the weakness of humble obedience. Humble obedience. Continuing this idea, we see the importance of humble obedience, that the salvation of the Israelites was not going to come by the power of any human. It wasn't going to come by a, a powerful military general by the name of Gideon, who was really someone who lacked, who was, who was fearful and who was the least. It wasn't going to come through military might of Israel, through 32,000. It was going to come through 300. Judges 7, 8, so the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets. They sent all the rest of, of Israel and every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men, and the camp of Midian was below them in the valley. This is a juncture in the story, because God has said, all right, you have 10,000, all right? You've separated the two. 
send those away. Send the 9,300 or the 9,700 away and leave the 300. The 300 are all you need. And you know what Gideon did? He humbly obeyed the Lord. I don't know about you, but in that moment, I don't know. I don't know. Lord, I don't know. Are you sure? You sure we can't at least keep half? You sure we can't figure out another test? Isn't there something more that we can do? But no, no, Gideon obeyed. Gideon obeyed the Lord. In fact, I want to pull up for a moment because God often moves us from from strength to weakness. If we take a look at the the book of Judges as a whole, we see that the book of Judges opens uh, with Joshua as a great military leader. And after Joshua, they sinned again, and God raised up Othniel again. He was older, but Othniel had faith, and he was one of strength. And after Othniel, we moved to Ehud, and Ehud was not anything of a a great military leader. In fact, he was probably maimed in the right hand or at least nothing else. He was left-handed, which wasn't uh, considered a cultural strength in that day, and yet God used him. God used him to rally an army. And then God moves to Shamgar, who's an outsider. He's not even an Israelite. And then we move to, to Deborah, a woman prophet and judge, and Jael, a housewife, not even from Israel. And God begins to move. And then we get to Gideon here, who's, who's weak and, and the least in his tribe and, uh, of Manasseh. And next week, we're going to take a look at Samson, who didn't even lead an army. Samson was one who God used just individually because he was a man of strength. But by the end, he was somebody of weakness. And then you move to the kings, and what do you find? You find a shepherd boy. There's this giant by the name of Goliath who's mocking the armies of Israel. And rather than the armies of Israel being strong, they are fearful and they are hiding. And all of a sudden, instead of God raising up a mighty warrior, he raises up a shepherd boy. A shepherd boy with a sling and a stone. A shepherd boy with no armor and no sword. Who says in the name of the Lord my God. Who are you that defies the armies of the living God? And we see Goliath fall. All of these pictures, God showing from strength to weakness, pointing us to the fact that we are weak, but we need a deliverer. We need a savior, Jesus. And yet even Jesus himself is shown in weakness. In fact, the son of God comes, and what do we see him doing? Washing feet of his disciples, some who would betray him, some who deny knowing him, some that would scatter. We see him uh, in, a, in a trial being maligned, mocked, spit upon, slapped. And when it came to carrying his cross, by that point, the Son of God, the one who is mighty in power, Jesus Christ didn't even have enough strength to carry his own cross, but needed help. And then where do we find him? We find the king of all the earth, the mighty savior, Jesus Christ, not coming in strength and in power, but coming in a place of weakness where he allows himself humble and obedient to be put on a cross in the ultimate picture of surrender. And they say to him, take yourself off the cross. If you are the son of God, go ahead, get off the cross, go ahead. Jesus could have called legions of angels from heaven, but he didn't. In humble obedience, he came in weakness, telling us, showing us that salvation comes in weakness when we humble ourselves. It doesn't come in our show of strength. You see, in Jesus' greatest surrender and greatest place of weakness, though he died on the cross, he enabled to have the greatest defeat over the enemy. And three days later, we see the power of God when the stone is rolled away and he arises. 
And rather than a Roman army being ousted, instead sin was ousted. And sin was defeated. And death was defeated. And Jesus Christ reigns. Salvation. Salvation comes when we humble ourselves. It's not through the strength of armies, but through a Savior who lays down his life in humility and obedience. And Jesus teaches us this about the power of God. You know, oftentimes I think we're more like uh, the story I heard about the woodpecker. There was a woodpecker who uh, kept just doing what he does, pecking away at a telephone pole. And uh, every day, tap, 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 tap. He's there, just tap, tap, tap on the telephone pole. And one day, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes a lightning bolt and splits the telephone pole. And it knocks the woodpecker back. And he's flapping and kind of making sense of what's going on and trying to figure it out. And then all of a sudden, he goes and he gets all of his woodpecker buddies and he brings them back and he, he takes them to the pole and he goes, look what I did. Friends, so often we think that these things that are because of us, they're not because of us. They're because of God. But God uses humble and faithful obedience. He wants us to just tap, 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 do what he's calling, and at his time, he will do what is needed in his power. Friends, be faithful to the Lord. Well, Gideon here, he, he, he has been obedient to the Lord, but his faith is starting to falter a little bit. And that's the third secret. God patiently deals with faltering faith. God patiently deals with faltering faith. Look at Judges 7, starting in verse 9. That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I'm giving it into your hand. But then that little junction word there, but. But if you're afraid to go down. But if you're afraid to go down. Friends, Gideon has, has taken steps of faith, right? He, he has trusted the Lord, but now, oh, I had 32,000, 10,300. Oh, and we're up here in, the, uh, here in the valley of Jezreel is down here, and we're looking down, and the army looks back, and God says, you're going to take it with these 300 men, but if you're afraid. Anybody ever faltered in their faith before? Good news. Good news, because God, God patiently deals with us in faltering faith. Look what he says to him. But if you're afraid to go down to the camp, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now we're going to cover two points here uh, in just a moment out of that passage of Scripture, but Gideon was one who oftentimes cycled in his faith. He was one who, again, was a little reserved. Okay, God, <laughs> he, you know, you show up. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Where's the Lord? He's abandoned us. Where's, this, where's the Lord? We heard of his power in Egypt, but now he's abandoned us. Where is he? And, and mighty warrior, I'm the weakest in my clan. Who am I? But he gives God an opportunity. He presents an offer, and God consumes it, and all of a sudden he realizes, oh, he worships, oh, Lord, my God, oh, what happened? And God says to him, listen, I want you to go into your father's house and tear down the idols and deal with the private sins and take care of that before I'll use you publicly, mighty warrior. And he does, even though he does it at night, he does it. And then God says, listen, the Spirit of the Lord comes across. Come on, I want you to, to call all the armies. And he does it. And then all of a sudden, all the armies, 32,000 show up. And all of a sudden, you see Gideon going, okay, Lord, if this is you, I need a little bit of help. I need to know. So he does the fleece test. How many remember the fleece test? He takes a fleece and he puts it out and he says, all right, if there is dew on the ground but the fleece is dry, then I'll know it's you. 
And that night, the Lord did it. He wakes up in the morning, and the Lord did it. And you'd think that'd be enough, but no. Gideon goes, oh, well, Lord, maybe, maybe I got that wrong. Maybe that could have been something. That, here, I need another test. What if I put the fleece down? I want the fleece wet and the ground dry. And the next day, it's like that. Why? Why? Because God will work with us in faltering faith. And so Gideon believes it's the Lord and he goes and then God says, your army's too big for me. And from 32,000, he goes down to 300. He's looking over the valley and God says, listen, you're going to do this. But if you're afraid, I got something to help you. You're going to go down to the camp and you're going to hear something that's going to confirm. Friends, sometimes I preach it. God wants us to have great faith. And he, he does. God wants us to have great faith. And I want to have great faith. He, he, he wants us to have that faith. But friends, I'm going to be honest. When there are times when you're struggling with your faith, listen, God is not there to, he loves you. And he will, he will help you. He wants to cultivate your faith. He is patient. He's patient. He's patient. It reminds me of the, of the story in Mark 9, the father who comes to Jesus and his son has been demon-possessed and he brings them to the disciples and they can't cast the demon out. And Jesus and his disciples are coming back down the mountain from the Mount of Transfiguration and they, they encounter the man and Jesus asks the question, he says, how long has he been like this? And the man responds this in verse 21 from childhood. He answered, it's often throw him in the fire or water to kill him. And then, he, then, then the father says this, but if you can do anything, Take pity on us and help us. But if you can do anything, it's Jesus. But if you can do anything, do you see the faltering faith in the Father? But if you, and if I'm Jesus, I'm going, come on, man. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Come on, where's your faith? You of little faith. Where, where is your faith? Now, Jesus doesn't just do away with it. But Jesus says, if you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for the one who believes. What's he doing there? He's, he's trying to stir up his faith. Listen, if you can, friend, everything is possible if you believe. And the man immediately, he exclaims, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. Help me with my doubt. Help me with my doubt. And Jesus, that's enough for Jesus. Jesus, Jesus cast the evil spirit out of the boy. Help my unbelief. Have you ever been there before? Lord, I do believe, but, but help me. I'm faltering a little bit in my faith. God will work with us when we're faltering in our faith, but it leads us to number four, and this is, a critical, this is a critical point for you to understand. At some point, as your faith is struggling, Jesus is gonna ask you to take a step. He's gonna ask you to take a risk. At some point, you're gonna have to take the risk, and that's what it was with Gideon. Gideon had some fear and doubt, but here was the Lord's answer. He says, here's what you're gonna do, Gideon. If you want confirmation, the fleece was one thing, but here's what you need to do. You see that camp of Midian down there? You need to go down there. There are men down there. God, you want me to go down there? Well, that's where your answer is going to be. Well, I got to go down there. It's dark. It's dangerous down there. God says, if you go down there, that's where you're. Take your servant. You don't have to go alone. Take your servant. Go down there. Go down there. Friends, at some point, you have to take a risk. At some point, you have to take a step towards God. At some point, you've got to take a step. You see, James 4, 8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Listen, that light to my path, the light is there. Jesus shows us the step. He told Gideon, listen, you're afraid. if you're afraid, go down into the camp. It's dark down there. It's dangerous. There's armed people down there. I don't want to bring in my army. I don't want to go down there. Well, if you want your confirmation, that's your step of faith. 
Sometimes God will put a step of faith. He'll say, here's the light. you got to step. Guess what happens when we step? God reveals the next part. But it's not until we take the step. God doesn't give us the big plan. He gives us step by step. And at some point when you are wrestling, you've got to take a step towards God. At some point when you are wrestling, you've got to take a risk. That's faith. There is no faith without risk. You've got to take a step of faith. And Gideon had to take a step of faith. And when he took the step of faith, look at what happened. Verse 13, when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream. Behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. And it came to a tent and struck it. And it fell and turned upside down so that the tent lay fat, flat. And his comrade answered, this is none other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. See, he, he wouldn't have heard this story. He wouldn't have heard the dream. He wouldn't have heard the interpretation of the dream if he hadn't taken the risk, if he hadn't taken the step. And there are so many times when we miss out on what God wants to do in our lives because we don't take the step of obedience. We don't take the step of faith. God invites us, but we don't take the step. And as soon as Gideon heard him telling the dream and the interpretation, look what it says. He worshiped. He worshiped. He worshiped. Oh, praise God. Oh, thank you for, for, for just confirming in my heart what you're doing. Thank you. But it came after he took the step. And he returned to the camp and he had new confidence arise. For the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. You know what I love about this? I love the dream. Because the dream goes back to what we talked about. God isn't, isn't, isn't looking for mighty, this mighty, mighty, mighty. He, he, he's looking for humbly weak people to be, be obedient to him. Because look at the dream. What does the green, dream say? A barley loaf came into the camp. It wasn't a tornado. It wasn't a hurricane. It wasn't a sword. It wasn't something. It was a barley loaf. It was a piece of bread. How about that for a team mascot? We're the barley loaves. We're going to turn your tent around. That must have been one stale barley loaf. And that's what they say Gideon was. Gideon, the barley loaf. I'm Gideon. I'm the barley loaf. Why? Because God uses weakness. God wants us to come as we are, who we are, and come to him and allow him to clothe us with his Holy Spirit. To that, that his Holy Spirit would come inside and clothe us and we would see the mighty power of God. But friends, that doesn't come unless you're willing to take the step of faith. And unless you're willing to take a risk. If your faith is faltering, God wants to encourage you, but at some point, you have to take the risk. And fifthly, God turns weaknesses, weakness into strength. This is the last point. Judges 7, 16, and 18. Here's the battle plan. He divided the 300 men into three companies. So you have 300, three companies, that's 100 each. He put trumpets in their hands. All of them had empty jars with torches inside the jars. You know what I don't see? A sword. There's no sword, a trumpet, a jar, and a torch inside the jar. And he said, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, as I do, when I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me then blow the trumpets also on every side, and all the camp shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. And to fully appreciate this, you just have to understand the significance. You see, a trumpet represented a battalion. 
So when a trumpet would blow, it represented a battalion. So now they're taking these three companies, they're spreading everybody out all around the camp. So when they blow the trumpet, it's going to look like they have more people than what they really have. Because it represents something. All right, so Gideon divides this up. And then look what happens. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. That's really important. Just highlight that for a moment. And when they had just set the watch, excuse me, when they had just set the watch, they blew the trumpets, smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets, broke the jars. They held their, their left hand the torches, and in their right hand the trumpets. They bl- began to blow, and they cried out, a sword for the Lord and Gideon, and every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran, and they cried out and fled. So, so here's the picture, all right? It's darkness, all right? It's nighttime. It's pitch black. The middle watch of the night would have been about 3 a.m., so you have a first watch, a second watch, and a third watch. The first watch, people are tired. They've been up, they've been keeping watch, they're tired, they're on their way back into the camp. The middle watch, second watch people are just waking up, okay? This is the time. They're just waking up, they're groggy. You ever have to get up at 3 a.m. and your alarm goes off? You're not the most brightest, all right, at that moment. They're just getting up to take their place in the shift. And the third watch people are still asleep. And at this point, Gideon and his army are around. And in the middle of the night, how would you be if you were suddenly startled by the blowing of trumpets... The smashing of jars, which would have sounded like the pulling of swords. And all of a sudden, you see all this light all the way suddenly light up the trumpet blow and a shout for the the Lord, a sword for the Lord and Gideon. And all of a sudden, panic sets in. So the first watch people are coming back. The third watch, second watch people are just getting up. They're coming back tired and coming back. So it looks like an army is invading the camp. The second watch people don't realize it's their own people. They're groggy. They're waking up. They start to fight. The third watch people are startled. They're just out of a deep sleep. They're not even supposed to get up. They get up. They see this fighting. They join in. And the entire army starts being in confusion, fighting one another. And there is no loss of 300 men in Israel despite all the Midianites and God wins the battle. Israel wins the battle. That's an awesome battle plan. But understand this. This is what's really cool. Nowhere do I read in here where it, where it spells out that God gave Gideon this plan. It doesn't say that. If you read it, it doesn't say God gave this battle plan to Gideon. What God did was Strip Gideon down, make Gideon humble, and put Gideon in a position where he had to begin to think differently. You see, God can turn our weakness into strength. God can turn our weakness into strength. And sometimes we fight against it. God, why are you stripping this away? God, why are you taking this away? God, why am I going through this? God, why don't I have this? And God is saying, because I want you to learn how to depend on me. I want you to learn how to depend on my Holy Spirit. I want you to learn how to lean into me. Because I'm going to take what you see as a weakness. And I'm going to turn it around as a strength for my glory to give you the victory. Friends, some of you, God wants to give the victory today. What we perceive as weakness, God can turn into a strength because sometimes God must strip us of the things because he has a better plan. He gets the glory, and we find a better way. If at 32,000 Gideon would have tried to attack the enemy, there would have been been Israelites that would have lost their lives. But God's plan was better. And it was a plan that dealt with being stripped away of everything. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come.
God brought the victory to Gideon and Israel, and they were the underdogs. And God wants us to learn some of these same lessons. So let me, let me bring it home. Is there an area in your life where you feel like God might be weakening you to teach you to depend on him? Is there something happening where you're like, man, okay, God, you're weakening me. Is there something in your life where God is weakening you so that you will depend on him? Is God inviting you today to surrender and humbly obey him today? Friends, are you struggling in your faith? God is patient today. He wants to encourage your faith. He wants to grow your faith. But you've got to surrender your doubts to him. You've got to surrender your doubts. Maybe God is inviting you to take a step of faith. You go, wow, it's risky. I don't know. Is that God? I don't know. Does it require faith? If it requires faith, it's the Lord. God wants you to take a step of faith today. And some of you have been holding back. And God is saying, I want you to take a step of faith today. What's the step of faith that God is wanting you to take today? What's the area of weakness in your life that God says, I want to turn that around into a strength? What's that area today that God is inviting you into where he can demonstrate his power in your life? Maybe you just need to be filled or refilled with the Holy Spirit today. And you just say, Holy Spirit, clothe yourself in me. Holy Spirit, clothe yourself in me. Holy Spirit, clothe yourself in me. Friends, if you need Jesus today, maybe that's your first place to start is I need to Surrender my life to Jesus today. I want you to pray with me. Maybe you say, I need to take a step of faith. I want you to pray with me today. And as we close in prayer today, I want to invite you to pray with me and ask the Lord what he was doing in your life. Ask the Lord, is there a step of faith I need to take? Ask the Lord, is there a confirmation? Is there some doubts I need to surrender? Ask the Lord, Lord, I surrender my life to you. Make that declaration. I surrender my life to you today. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just thank you today that, Lord, you take weak things, the weak things of the world to confound the wise, that the foolish things of this world, Lord, that you can take my weakness, you can take, Lord, the lack that I have, but when I make you my resource and lean into you, you can do great things. Father, we, we just stay in this moment right now. Father, are there things you've been stripping away? Give us a new perception, God, to see that, that you want us to lean into you. Father, we surrender our lives to you right now. We invite you, Jesus, into our hearts today. Forgive us, Lord, of our sin. Forgive us, God, of our lack of faith. Father, if you're inviting us to take a step of faith today, a step that might be risky today, Lord, will you just... You invite us in. God, give us the courage to take that step of faith because it's there that you want to reveal to us what you're going to do. It's there that you bring the confirmation. Oh, God, we turn our weakness over to you that you might receive all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, will you stand today? We're just going to close with just a a song of worship, and I invite you, if you want to come around these altars, if you need to do business with the Lord, maybe you just want to surrender your life to Christ, maybe you want to wrestle through a step of faith the Lord is calling you to today, will you come and just allow the Lord to work in your life as we sing today? Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's Word. 
For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.